Hello folks, thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Vinyl and Vision. This is Jimmy Drab, your host, and this is my show. Special guest tonight is Doug Cheatwood. Uh, Doug Cheatwood is a good friend of mine from uh, back in 2001. I met in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, New Orleans, if you're nasty. Um, he is uh, just an amazingly talented uh, songwriter that uh, just... Uh, was a, an amazing circumstance to kind of run into and, and get to meet and know and, uh, and befriend. Uh, I get into that in the, in the podcast, so I won't really say too much about that now. But uh, this was a long one. It was a long conversation. Uh, we did a lot of catching up, basically. So, um, and I just had a lot of fun talking to him, so that's, uh, it is what it is. And I think we had a lot of fun, so, and I think that will uh, come through if you're listening, so uh, enjoy it. Right up front, let me just tell you that um, for those watching the video stream, what you're watching right now is a um, montage that I created of the video footage from The Totalitarian, Doug's new ambitious uh, television show. Uh, it's available on YouTube. The links will be uh, set up in the homepage, so just go to the homepage to find uh, all the details about this project and where you can find it. Uh, the video stream is on YouTube, and the audio stream, which is available for purchase, is on Bandcamp. It's uh, one season of television, of uh, a video um, series, and each episode in this season, there's ten of them, is a full-length album. Okay, so if you go to Bandcamp, you'll see, you click on the episode and you'll see the track listing. And it's like 1 through 10 or 12, depending on the episode. And uh, yeah, it's like it's like a full-length album. So these are this is essentially 10 full-length records available now. Uh, he's already working on season 2, half of, his, half of it is already up on Bandcamp. So you can get into that too. So there's so much to get into, so much to go through, that... I just figured, I, okay, let me just kind of create a quick montage for you so you can kind of see a little bit, hear a little bit, and get a feel for, for what the project's all about. Um, Doug's amazing. Like, he covers so many different genres that there's something for everybody, quite literally. So, whatever music you like, go explore some of this catalog. Just go and just try it out, because most likely you will come across something that you actually enjoy. Um, so, uh, aside from that, this episode was a little troublesome for me. Um, we were, we, Doug and I both had a lot of problems with the internet connection and just kind of making it work, and, uh, ultimately we actually canceled the, the podcast. Um, I literally packed up, we were like, let's do it in a couple of days from now, and, you know, we'll reconvene, and hopefully the internet will be working better, or you can get to another place where we can try it out, and, uh, <clears throat> and then so half an hour later after we canceled, and I was already packed up and back in my house, Doug message, messages me with a link to Zoom. So, the Zoom worked, and so we went back to it. Uh, I quickly reset up in the studio, and I kind of quickly threw everything back together, and and we, we hit the ground running, and uh, I kind of fucked up some things. I, I, I didn't set up everything exactly as I should have, and I it was technology that I'm not completely familiar with, and therefore I kind of screwed up on, on my end because I figured, oh, this will work, right? Um, 
So, uh, so I made the best of what I had available, you know, from, from my setup. And so it's a little choppy, uh, just basically one break, and so I kind of put a little interlude in there just to, so it's not a total, like, you know, weird segue. Um, but, uh, but the audio quality is a little weird too because I didn't wear my headphones, so I couldn't hear what I was recording, and I realized after the fact, and this is why you fucking wear headphones, idiot, um, that uh, one of my mics where it was was tweaking out and it was like buzzing and so I tried to limit that as much as I could uh, from what you're hearing now um, but uh, it is what it is but like I said great conversation it's a little long uh, Doug chose the album The Wall by Pink Floyd which was also another kind of crazy and ambitious uh, thing to try to tackle so we actually get into that a very little bit near the end of the show uh, only because we had so much kind of catching up to do um, so uh, I kind of chose to just do that and just speak to the guy because he's just a lot of fun to talk to and he's a very good friend um, follow the links on the homepage please to go find these pro- this project from Doug and to go explore it It's uh, you will not be disappointed okay there's something for you there just just go through it it's amazing um, I am a huge fan of his I'm honored to have him, and I'm honored to introduce some of you to him if this is the first time you're hearing about him. So, I compel you, please, go do that thing, and then here, we thank you for tuning in and doing all the things you do with the internet, the liking and the sharing and the subscribing and the reviewing and the writing and the yada yada, and it's great. Absolutely great. We love you for it. Thank you. Enjoy the show. You can hear me? How you doing? Yeah. Fine, how are you? Great. Hey, what uh, a pain in the ass that was. <laughs> you look great, though. Oh, thank you. You look great, too. Thank you. We were talking about my mustache earlier and how disgusting it is. I, I, I think it's... I think it's <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it, just, it gives off a creepy vibe, and, you know, that's not good for me at this point in my life. So, uh, yeah, you're looking good, too, man. It's been a long time. It, it's, it's been... Um... Before you asked me to do this, it had been how many years? I think the last time I saw you was in Tour. when the band came up to Providence. Probably, when you right? came to play here, right? Yeah. Not because I don't yeah, think. Yeah, when the I don't know if played. we. Yeah, I don't know if we went to uh, to Roanoke after that. I think we probably did, but maybe we didn't. But I if, think that I think that Barnburning had stopped touring at that point when we were up there. Mm, well, because the album was just coming out, and so we went on a West Coast tour. So I think we, we did a whole uh, year, like American thing and just okay. went on a big loop. So we may have, but I don't remember. I was kind of kind of uh, wasted okay. back then. But uh, but that is great that you mentioned that because I, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that your band, The Bastards of Fate, actually played here in Providence and was the only band to ever be banned from Jake's Restaurant. Yeah, we that was during our our phase that we had where we got banned a lot. Did you get um, banned a lot? We, and then we realized that that was not a good business model. Not for a touring band, not really. Not there's, really. There's only um, so many uh, venues. <laughs> it was fun though, when it, like while it lasted, you know. 
Yeah, well, you know, I probably just would have suggested that you mulch up anything other than styrofoam. Because I think that that was the thing that really did it, was that... Because the styrofoam, when you when you crumble it, it just gets all the static, and it just sort of sticks to everything. And, yeah, um, and it's, it's in everything, and uh, I mean, we always we always offered to clean up right. after we did. Yeah, uh, but sometimes they were just like, "No, just get the fuck out." Of here. <laughs> yeah. The worst thing we ever did was we did this. Did we did it with buttered popcorn? Ooh. And, I, I think it was from it was like from the movie theater. They were just getting rid of a lot of stale popcorn. Uh huh. Um, that was Alan and Patty Herbst in Morristown, Tennessee, the sweetest people in the world, and they s still friends. Uh, you know, they're in the totalitarian Facebook group, uh, and you know they were passing it around and inviting people and stuff. Yeah. But we That's did great. make just a total mess at their bar. Yeah, it was greasy. It was greasy. Slimy. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. We're, yeah. we're older now and wiser, I hope. Yeah, yeah. But it was a good show. It was, it was always great. It was always a lot of fun. It's always fun to go to a show and not know what to expect, really, you know? I gotta say, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan of yours. Well, thank you. I have thank a couple... I have a couple of your records. I got this one. It's like the light out, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I pre-ordered that, and I got the bonus one. Yeah. So. Yeah. Remixes of the, the other tracks. Right, remixes and other and uh, like demos, kind of right, like uh, rare, like alternate takes. Yeah. Well, they're the same recordings. They're just like. Um, Mixed different. They're just, they're kind of like, yeah, they're like radical ground up remixes with different effects and stuff. So, the same tracks? I mean, some of them are, some of them are so different, they sound almost like different recordings. Oh yeah, for sure. That's why I was wondering, so it's the same tracks from the record? Same tracks, yeah. That's crazy. That's really cool. I, mixing is, um, I mean, it's kind of, it's like editing with film where it's like, it's kind of all the diff all the difference, you know. Like, right. it's a, it's the stage where it's just like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like a different like. Um, you can completely change landscapes just based on how you how much EQ you turn, you know, for yeah. for each t the instrument basically. So it's like shading light yeah, and dark. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it took me a really long time to learn how to mix. Uh, that's right. kind of been my struggle. Yeah. Like over, over the last decade or so is just trying to figure out how to mix things to where I'm satisfied with them. Really? Um, yeah. Um, you know, the, the sort of the, um, the initial mixes of some of the bastard stuff I, I really wasn't that satisfied with. Really? Yeah. It just like, I think it was basically I just didn't know what I was doing. Like, like the the first two records of the Bastards of Fate, the um, Who's Your Fuzzy Buddy and uh, what was the second one called? That was uh, Vampires Are Real and Palpable. Right. Okay. Um, you didn't like those recordings, or you didn't like the, the solo stuff you were doing before that? I like the recordings. The songs are great. Right. Uh, I just don't. I think I could have done a better job mixing them. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I mean, we were such. 
we're a really dynamic band and it took me a while to wrap my head around how to make things dynamic in a mix like my mm. initial instinct was just to crush the whole thing with compression right to, to make it in your face but when you do that like it wears you down you know like you, yeah it's like after a while you get tired of hearing it you know because it's yeah. all at the same level and it's all right at the top you know right right it's all on the red um yeah all it, in the red because those songs especially had a had a, a lap like a particularly loud dynamic where you do a lot of screaming and uh i don't know if you ever had jason do backup vocals on the on the recordings yeah yeah he's yeah he's on um he's on quite a few of them right. um he's more of the kind of person to sort of interject like he doesn't won't necessarily sing but he'll yell something here and there right you know? well there's a lot of room for yelling and like kind of like group group chanting or yelling of yes. the likes. Yeah, yeah chanting and stuff too right, right yeah but with the totalitarian i think my mixing has improved a lot just like yeah I, I, have, a, I have a much better feel for like when I sit down with a piece of music, I'm able to sort of pick out what's important and figure out how to like bring that to the front and push everything up to support it from behind. Right, right. Like your your own writing is actually pretty dynamic where you have a, a lot of different um, styles that you cover, first of all. And with that being said, the way you kind of put those together, like, you know, like these weird kind of like hip hoppy funk elements next to like extremely abrasively loud screaming and like, you know, kind of punk thrash almost. And yeah. so yeah. mixing those is extremely important because you kind of want that dynamic of like, you want the, the melodic and serene sound of this like more, I don't know, ethereal type thing. And then, to, you know, compared to that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, it's kind of everything about the music is, is, you know, the, the jump from loud to soft. Right. Or off loud, you know? Yeah. And that's like, that's been like the real thing that, that I've been trying to learn how to do effectively in mixing. It's really like, like what, what frequencies any given sound occupies, you know, mm -hmm. this might be boring for people listening to this. That's okay. Just, Fuck them. But you know, it's just <laughs> like, you know, you know what I'm saying though? Like it's, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. figuring out what frequency you have to turn up in a, in a sound to make it sit right. Right. Well, so because you studied uh, sound engineering at a studio in New Orleans where I met you, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. What, what was that I, like? I went to school in Orlando at Full Sail for... Oh, in engineering? Oh, okay. At, so that was like your first internship? Yeah, that was my internship at the um, the Sound of New Orleans. Cool. Makes it uh, blues and... Uh, New Orleans, like Bourbon Street bands. Basically. Yeah, yeah. How, and how was that experience for you? Like, what was that like? Like working with some of those people. With did you get any, actually record any like good acts that you that were like uh, locals? I uh, it, it was fun. It was. I mean, it was it was kind of weird because it was like it's so it's very different from the kind of music world that we inhabit. Like the this is like these bands played for tourists and they would never you know the people would come they'd be shit-faced yelling they would throw a bunch of money in the bucket and then they would never see him again yeah. you know that sounds like and that, and that, like, that's so different like really? it's entirely different from you know what we do mm. um 
but it was cool. I mean, and they were great performers because they played every night, you know, right. like they were down on Bourbon Street. Right. Uh, my favorite acts that I had in, like an interaction with in New Orleans were probably the gospel acts. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, there was like a group called the Crown Seekers that was really good. Um, hmm. And then the guy that I worked for kind of had an in at a lot of like the black churches in the area. And so, and they would have these like, they would have like competitions, like gospel off competitions. Yeah. And these bands, like, you know, they would dress up and they would all wear like, like a teal suit. There'd be like a teal band on this side. And then on the other side, there'd be like the fuchsia band. Yeah. And, and like, you know, the one would get up and they'd do a set and they'd just like take it as high as they could. And then the other one would try to outdo them. Of course. And, um, you know, Gary Edwards had, you know, he he like got me a ticket. He didn't even come because he just like, I guess he was tired of it. He was an old mm. guy and he was just like, he'd seen it before, you know, but he yeah. was like, here, get take this ticket and go down to such and such street. I think it was on Magazine Street or something and see this thing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, all right. And um, I mean, I got there and they thought I had gotten lost or something. Yeah. But, it was amazing. I bet. It was probably, it's got to be like one of my, one of the top five shows that I've seen. Yeah. Just like sitting there for like three or four hours watching these people Sounds do amazing. their thing. Yeah. Yeah, I never really got to see any good acts like that in New Orleans when I was there. I was only there a very brief time. How long were you in New Orleans? How old was I? How long, how long were you there? Nine months. Nine months? Yeah, yeah. Cause I, I got, I, I screwed out of there as like fast. Like I got jumped and that was it for me. I was just like, this sucks, man. I lost my bike. I like, Oh yeah. I remember that. Yeah. That was, that was shitty. Hmm. Yeah. Someone broke my bike and uh, backed into it at my, while I was at work. And then, so I was on foot and I was actually walking to my work to get a paycheck cause I had no money on me. And yeah, these three kids freaking jumped me and, you know, just kind of beat me up and, I was yeah, able to get away. That, was, that made me mad. Yeah. But say the thing, that's the thing about I New mean, Orleans is that when I, I went to the bar right when that happened so to go get washed up and cleaned up and, um, and to get my money. And, yeah. um, you know, everyone was just like, hey, man, oh, my God, what happened? And I was just like, I just got jumped by these three kids. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's that time of the year. You know, like everyone had a story. Like then everyone's just like, oh yeah, I got held up at knife point once, man. It was fine. You know, you just be good. Just, you know, work with them. If they say take out their wallet, you take out your wallet. They're like, here you go. It'll be good. We're okay, man. Yeah. They did. They, they take it for granted down there. I, yeah. I lasted, I was there a year and a half. So it wasn't that much longer than you. Yeah. And what drove you away? I ran out of money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That too. I was running out of money real fast too. So it was kind of like. That's why, that's why I did it. I was just like, look, I already bought a ticket to go back home to visit. So I was just like, I'm just going to leave my stuff here, sell what I can, and just move back. And just fly back home. So I kind of like lost everything I had basically at that point. Because I just left everything there that I couldn't like carry. Yeah. They, I mean, it was kind of the same thing with me. It was just like I ran out of money and it was like, I guess I better just go back to my mom's house. I mean, I had my stuff. It was like because it was in the back of the station wagon. Yeah. Um, but it was lucky because it was it was the week before Hurricane Katrina. Like, oh, I lucked out. 
Right. Yeah. Amazing. So it, it's I, so I drove up there and then that it swooped in and I was like, Oh shit, you know? Right. Wow. And you've been back since to, to visit, right? Like after the hurricane? Yeah. I came back the following year. Um, and kind of, I went to like the Mart the Mardi Gras that was happening after that. Oh yeah. How was it? It was Mardi Gras. I mean, yeah. it was still, they were still doing it, you know? <laughs> um, but it was a little like kind of like turned down, right? Like there was like less turnout and there's obviously like all the, uh, reconstruction that had to be happening, you know, yeah. houses possibly yeah. like vacant or boarded up. There were a lot of, there were a lot of blue tarps and, you know, they had this stuff spray painted on the doors. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, I mean, the, the coast was just wrecked, like the, the Gulf coast. We yeah. spent a time in Mississippi and it was just really grim. I think that was like, I think that was like the week that I finally was just like, there's no God. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, there's, there's no way that this shit, shit could happen and there'd be like a benevolent deity. Yeah. Um, yeah. You but, were kind of religious uh, from when I knew you, I guess. Right. It has like a strange religion thing going on, like through your music. And then I don't know, just your personality, I think a little bit. I think at the time I was, um, agnostic. Yeah. Um, it was something that I'd, I'd wrestled with for a while. You know, I grew up, fundamentalist, oh, okay. Christian. Um, and at the time I, I'd sort of like reached the point where I was like, well, I, we don't know. There's no way to know, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and then I became an atheist, but now in the last few years, I've arrived at a place where I'm more like, kind of like spiritual, mm -hmm. you know, but without having any affiliation directly. Right. Yeah, I don't like I'm I'm not like um I don't believe in like a ghost world or anything or anything like that, but it's more of kind of like an Alan Watts kind of yeah thing that I subscribe to where it's just like there's a different perspective that you can have on reality where you're like you can look at yourself as being part of a large beautiful pattern and like feel it, you know? Mm -hmm. And and to me that's that spirituality. It's just sort of like, yeah, I understand. <laughs> I think I agree. Yeah, because I don't really have any <laughs> denomination. I don't really practice anything. But I feel like there's definitely strong powers in, in the world, you know. And um, I don't know if I believe in spirits or not. And I thought that you did believe in spirits because you wrote this beautiful sp song, The Spook, which is like one of my favorite songs off this old demo that you made. Yeah, I did that. I did that one in New Orleans. That was. Um, I did, yeah. All the recordings that you fucking gave to me from beyond from that you had made before that point and up to that point, like when I left New Orleans, were great recordings. And like going back to what you were saying about recording and like kind of being your your own audio engineer, your sound engineer, I always loved those those recordings, like the quality of them. They were obviously, you know, young, kind of like unsophisticated. Uh, even your recording technology wasn't great at that point, right? It was kind of limited. Or were you using the studio? I, yeah. Well, a lot of them I, I use, I did sort of like through a four track, like yeah. a Tascam. Okay. Um, I used that as like a mixer, just running out into a computer. Oh, okay. uh, and a lot of, vo of the vocals were just on like a, like a 58, like an SM58. So yeah, it was pretty, pretty basic. Yeah. But it was great. It was, it sounded so good. It was like, it was lo-fi, like independent recording, but it was like 
the, the craftsmanship of the songs were there, like completely. Like I loved it. I loved every, all of them. Yeah, actually, last I talked to you to kind of prepare for this, we were uh, we were mentioning how we were originally going to schedule this for last week for like the day after the election and how yeah. the, how the record that you chose was so, it seemed very fitting for the time, you know, like because uh, we knew that we probably wouldn't have results. We didn't know who was going to win. And so it was kind of going to be like a very up in the air, like feeling between the, the theme of the record that you chose, uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall, to this exact time that we're living. And you know, it was just more than I could handle. I was just like, I it was the day after, and I was just like, I'm going to be so distracted if I do this. Yeah? Like, you know? Were you following along, like kind of like, you know, every every count, like every day until they finally announced? I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't glued to it. 24 hours right but you were watching you know, it i'm not the kind of person that just sits there with the news on but it was definitely like every day I, w I woke up and i was like is he is he there you know like or who is there who's there which yeah. one's it gonna be and uh, you know i'm i'm relieved now um i'm not like you know like as anxious as tense i'm not as tense like it yeah like i feel like Joe Biden is competent, at least. Yeah, if um, nothing else, that's that, and that's all you really need at this point. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not thrilled. Like we'll put it that way. But I'm not like, I am relieved. Yeah, yeah. No, me too, man. I mean, I think that's the, the resounding sentiment, really. I mean, I think that from everyone that I know that is like a level-headed person, realizes that this should this should hopefully be great at least much better than the like you know the constant barrage of like anxiety and fucking stress that we've been feeling for the past four years i mean this I last think, year this last yeah, year especially I, has been horrible but all the four past year the past four years has also been like just kind of like what a fucking fuck fest you know yeah like on the yeah, emotions but... just fucking killing us every day <laughs> like it's like he demands so much attention right just constantly but it's like the the fact that he's not in power anymore means that we don't have to give it to him necessarily i found the wall and you know i opened it up and there are these pictures of like the butts with like the judge hats and stuff oh right Hold on, hold on. Characters from the movie. Right, right. And I took it into my room and I played it and I was like, this is staying in here. It was just like a decision I made, you know? Yeah. That's amazing. So how old were you how old were you then? I was probably when I, when I when I commandeered the record, I was probably thirteen or fourteen. Like I had my own room and I had a I had a stereo set up. Yeah. And I, I had a record player. Yeah. Um, and this was, this was at my dad's house. My parents were, were divorced at the time. Um, so it was like, I would listen to it when I went over there. I don't think I had a record player in my mom's at that point. Yeah. Um, or maybe I did. But anyway, that, that's, I think was when I first listened to it was actually on vinyl. Uh, and then mm. I bought the cassette to play in my car. Yeah. And when did you see the movie? 
Like, like what time? Like, did you see the movie at some point, like near the same time? Or I saw the movie. I was probably fifteen or sixteen, mm-hmm. um, and it was a double feature. I went to my um, my friend Justin's house. He had like strawberry daiquiris from that he'd gotten at the grocery store. I think they were his mom's, and we just drank them. Yeah, I think that was the first time that I had alcohol. We watched The Wall, and we mm-hmm. watched uh, Naked Lunch. Oh, wow! Yeah, yeah. That's a disturbing um, night. Both those movies, big impact on me. Yeah, I um, can bet. Cronenberg really fucked with me. Naked he, Lunch. That's he. That's what he does. He fucks with people. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's in a good way. In a good way, yeah, yeah. But um, I haven't seen the movie since then, I don't think. I don't think I've watched it since I was a teenager. Oh, really? So I, I might actually go back and give it a look. Yeah, I wanted um, to ten- for, for, for tonight, but um, I didn't feel like buying it. I, and I haven't found a copy laying around anywhere, so... But, but I mean, I think it's just as well, because the, um, the, I think the movie, the track listing's a little different, too. Like, they, I the think... songs are in a different order, and... Yeah. It might actually be like some musical interludes that aren't. Yeah, yeah, the there record. is there is a little bit of variation, but um, but I don't think by much because it's funny how because I actually watched that movie a lot when I was a kid, which is probably not good. I probably watched it too many times for for my age, but um, but so I remember it really well because that that record really sat with me when I was young too, because it was kind of equal thing like I don't know. It had to have been my dad because he liked Pink Floyd. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I don't have I don't have the wall, but I, I did get a copy of this. Oh yeah, the final cut, which is uh, basically the unofficial like continuation. Uh, uh, it's a solo album. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's still technically Pink Floyd, but it's only got three members. Um, what's his name? Richard Wright, the uh, keys player kind of had officially quit by this point but it's supposed to be actually like this unofficial continuation of the wall you know because it's kind of similar content you know it's a very uh biographical autobiographical on roger waters part about the loss of his father and the war you know picking up on it from where he left off i remember where i I listened to that the first time too i was on a school field trip yeah i think it was one of the only pink floyd records i didn't have Hmm. Uh, and I, I bought a cassette, uh, like at a, you know, like sometimes you're on a field trip, they set you loose in the mall just mm-hmm. to like get a break from you, you know, and I went to the, went to the music store and bought the final cut. Nice. I think I, I like, I hid from everybody else. Like I was sitting in like the closet at the hotel room like with my headphones on and a Walkman yeah. listening to the final cut. The stereo is like really hard pan on that one. Yeah. It's like voice like saying something over here you know like the right. the thing that the the pink floyd thing where they take like a phrase and then they just cut a loop of it you know and they oh just yeah have it going over and over again right and it just pans from speaker to speaker like in the background it just feels like it's floating behind you like moving around yeah. it's great yeah i mean they're they're masters of recording and so i i kind of understand why you would this one of the one of their records i didn't know it would be the wall but you know any one of their records would be one that like like a very in- inspirational to you and because based on the style of music you make and being like an audio engineer because just the way they record things is just so amazing like yeah. like adam yeah. hart mother like they got the they always like were really good about picking up little soundscapes and 
like mixing that into the music yeah it's it's and it's very um not only is the the quality really like the recording quality but it's mm. so theatrical too being exposed to the wall was one of the first times i was exposed to the idea of writing in character you know yeah um and just sort of like you know embodying somebody that maybe is not admirable you know and just that as as an as an artistic technique um i almost feel like any given bastards record is an attempt to make the wall just like the just it's sort of like doing it that way where you show somebody who is kind of heinous having a meltdown this is a record where the, the concept of the record is, you know, the making of like a rock star fascist, right? Right. And that's that's the arc of the record, um, and it's just so much more dramatic because it takes you through all the phases, you know. Right. Uh, I, you, you listen to it the day after election day. I've been listening to it pretty regularly, yeah. So before then, before then to now. Yeah, I. I, I listened to it last last night, mm-hmm. um, and um, I was struck by it. it was a lot shorter than I remembered it being. I remembered it being really long. Hmm. Did you feel like it was shorter? Well, I've been listening to it for the most part while working, so uh, I don't really notice time going by, but I'm just kind of keep on moving. Okay. So, um, but yeah, but it hasn't felt like a lot like and then we talked last we talked about it we were kind of like you're you're saying how i think maybe a discussion point about it is um how a lot of people consider that some of the songs to be a lot of filler which i didn't see notice that at all actually because i paid a lot more attention now being an older guy and a uh, you know a man to like the story the storyline like how each song interacts or connects to one another and so forth and I was just like this is fucking brilliant like I remember always liking it but now I'm like oh this is like a really really well done thought out piece like even every lyric like in the the sequence of the first song to the last tells a massive story like yeah um so I got an interview with Roger Waters from like 79 where he uh he was actually interviewed by uh, Tommy Vance, uh, some uh, DJ from BBC, I guess, around the time, and um, and they they got into it like song by song, basically. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, and so I feel like I really, really know this story well now, uh, and I can and I can see it a lot clearer, more clearly because now I got it from from Roger Waters' perspective. Um, the question I want to ask you about it is, like. Now that you tell me about how you kind of like every record that you have recorded, you've kind of been trying to create the wall, like your own version of the wall. Did those other records, or even this one that I have here now, the Suck Out the Light, uh, those aren't concept records, are they? Like, or do you consider them concept records? Um, n- no, no. I mean, they're they're not concept records in the sense that. They- I'm trying to tell a story. Right. Um, but there are a lot of characters. It's kind of a lot of like... There are characters, yeah. Um, and any, any given song is going to have probably a couple of different perspectives sort of vying for attention. Um, I think initially when we were talking about doing this, we were talking about doing Dark Side of the Moon. Oh, right. Um, 
and they they might like Dark Side of the Moon gets people are like well that's a concept record but it's not really a concept record yeah it's, no I don't, I don't agree with that yeah yeah it's it's a um Dark Side of the Moon is like Dark Side of the Moon is like a it is a complete album like it feels like a complete yeah piece of work itself so the focus is on the album right like that for me what i've always wanted to do is just make make records that feel like like a complete record you know from start to finish you're like okay you know right this thing whether it has an actual story or not like thematically it arcs you know what i'm talking about oh yeah absolutely you know dark side of the moon does that the wall does it uh you know in a more storytelling kind of way for sure but um, you know like with the totalitarian so this is like 10 episodes and each each episode is basically like a record unto itself yeah and one of the things one of the reasons i chose pink floyd is because i feel like i heard the pink floyd records at an early age and i immediately thought i want to do something like this i want to make something that's like a complete package and can convey like a big idea that people will sit with you Mm -hmm. know right you know rather than focusing on making you know just pop songs or whatever you know yeah so when i started doing the totalitarian i was kind of wrestling with what's what is the future of the album you know Mm -hmm. because i I mean as like if you're talking about physical formats like aside from being like a vintage sort of fetish item an album is obsolete like as a a physical thing right yeah but from an artistic perspective an album is still a form you know so sort i was trying to i was trying to wrap my head around what is the value of that form and how can we continue carrying that into the future as you know people's attention spans get shorter Hmm. uh you know music is it's like the it's like david bowie said it was going to be where you just turn it on like tap water you know Hmm. like you kind of like it's everywhere it's free basically right um how do you reach people the same way that these albums used to reach people right well you know where, where you can get people to sit down and sit with it and like hear the words see like the concept being developed song by song because the wall is like you know like we're talking about it has hits on it like it it does they're catchy as hell Hmm. but then it does have a song like Vera Lynn or Bring the Boys Back Home which are awesome moments but you never play them on the radio unless you were playing the whole (laughs) album you know right yeah of course you're uh, you're idea is basically creating this television show because uh there's there's a full a full number of episodes for yeah. and then and by the season and every episode uh which you currently for the first season have 10 episodes is about half an hour in length a little longer some of them are a little longer here and there um and they are essentially full length records i think yes. that that is so ambitious you know i mean like and that you did it and it's actually available now is like it blows my mind dude well it, it was it wasn't like i didn't come up with the plan 
at the beginning, you know, it was kind it was of just coming together like that. Yeah, it was, it was, it developed as I went, like what happened was, um, 2018, I hadn't recorded anything by myself. Uh, and I mean, I didn't record anything by myself during the entire run of the band. Um, right. So it had been about 11 years, I think. And it was, I was just sort of at a place where I was like, well, I wonder what I can do my, by myself at this point. Because right. obviously I've changed. I'm a different person. I wonder how this is going to go. So yeah. I started just recording music just to do it. And then, you know, about, I had, I had at the beginning, I had, uh, you know, a couple of ground rules. And one was like, use what's around you, you know, yeah. like, Whatever instruments don't, you can don't. find. What whatever whatever's laying around. Like if there's a keyboard, use that. If there's like sticks and stones, use those. Uh, and then the second ground rule was just don't don't overthink it. And both of those were kind of the opposite approach for bastards of fate. Because mm-hmm. with with bastards we would, you know, we would have an idea and then we'd figure out how to make it happen. It's like okay, well we want we want gospel singers on this. So then, you know, Jason would go down to Holland's University and start talking to people, and we would assemble like, a, you know, a, a gospel group to sing background vocals. Yeah. Uh, and then we bring them into the studio, and then we record it on a reel-to-reel tape recorder. Jesus. Um, and you know, and everything was like meticulously planned. Like we would, with that band, we would create the impression of chaos, but like. In terms of like what we were actually doing, it was, you know, really arranged, right. and and every performance was was, um, you know, I didn't didn't none of us really veered from the script. It was ritual ritualized. It was just like a matter of throwing the energy into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with this stuff, I was like, okay, don't don't plan it. Just pick up what's there and do it really and don't like with the with a lot of the vocals i would just like i would i i've heard that uh, andre 3000 writes like this too you just baby talk mm-hmm. like you get like a groove going and then you're like shabadoo or yeah yeah not quite scatting but you scatting, know yeah but after you, after you do that you, i would sit down like you know i would sit down and i would kind of be like well, what does it sound like i'm saying you know, yeah, and then yeah. I would type that out. And once you start doing that, like your brain automatically starts kind of making it into a song where you're like, okay, well, I guess if the chorus is that, maybe the verse should have something to do with that. And then you yeah, yeah. form it that way. Crazy. Uh, but but you did that 10 times in a row for, you know, for about 10 to 12 songs per episode. Yeah. Like yeah. how long did it take uh, to just write the music? And just to write and just to write and record the music, how long did it take you? You said you started in two thousand eighteen. The whole, so the whole series, it was about two years. Um, of writing and recording the music. The video too. The video I did really fast. Oh, okay. You know, I wanted to do those separately because I wanted to see exactly how much time and preparation you put behind the videos because those are fucking intense too because they're videos of the entire record. So that's ten records with fucking. 10 to 12 songs each each being half an hour plus depending that's like a crazy amount of work like we're talking about the wall this is a double album you've made a how do you even say 10 uh uh, (laughs) in (laughs) 
Yeah, um, I, I would say um, I, I've been alone a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, and and like, you know, I, you know, as a when I was a kid, I used and I still do this. If I go to the beach, I start building a sandcastle, and I just get so into it, and I just start like it just takes all day and before i know it it's like the day's over i've got sunburn the sun is going down and so right. that's kind of what the two years were like it's huh. just you know i i think i knew that it was going to be a tv show around episode five or six yeah i start to like get an ink like because i was like i was writing all this stuff and i was struggling to figure out who is gonna want to put this out like it's just too much you know right. it's right. like because if you were, if I was going to talk to a label and say, "Hey, I got ten records, you want to put them out?" Like, right. You know, you were like the idea of approaching labels with ten albums at a time, like at, at, at once. Let's say, all basically as a single concept, which is basically this TV show. You know, which is pretty awesome. I mean, I, I, I think it's so cool. Yeah, well, it, the TV show came after I realized that it would be a hard sell to like try and yeah get somebody to um to you know put out that much material. You know what I mean? Right. Because right. it's expensive to press vinyl. Yeah. You know. Of course it is. Yeah. Um. And and that would be like the main impetus to try and go with a label. I think would be to like. I mean, that's been our experience. Is that like with the with bastards? It was like you. You know, you get in touch with the label, with the label, and they're like, "Okay, we we like it, and we'll put down the money to have this physically, you know, produced for you." Right. Um, but doing that ten times over, I mean, that would be an at, absurd amount of money at once. So I mean, like, it would be one thing if you actually brought it to a label and be like, "You can just release an album a year." All right, like, just here, here's ten now. Just put them out once a year. But the yeah. whole thing is that it's a concept. It's a box set. I mean, it's like it's a TV show. It's not just ten albums. So yeah, I mean, I guess I I would like to hear some of it on vinyl, honestly. Um, and I guess that's still an option. Like if somebody throws, you know, if I, if I'm talking to people and somebody makes me an offer, I totally jump at that. Um, I'll make you, yeah, I'll make you an offer, sure. Oh, you okay. might not like it, but I'll but I'll make an offer. Okay, well, well, we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it. Yeah, because uh, I'm just getting into it right now, and it's kind of cool, and like it's something I've always wanted to do. So, and like I said, I love you. I love your music. I think it's great. Well, I love you too. I would actually, I, I would even be interested in putting out your old stuff, but, um, but I, you know, I love the work now. So the totalitarian, as ambitious as it is, I mean, it is back to form, like for. You know, for for what you had said about you know you started up the Bastards of Fate and you have been working with them solely for like the past eleven years, and you having had felt any kind of like awkwardness about possibly making music by yourself again, I mean I think it's great. Now I love everyone in the band. I love the Bastards of Fate and all of the members. I mean you know we used to all hang out, and um, but I, I love what you do too. And even if it's by yourself, it's just it's equally as good. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and so let's, let me just talk about your, your episodes for a second. So, cause I listened and watched, I'd watched most of it. I haven't been able to watch all of it yet because I've been too busy listening to shit, but, um, 
of the 10 episodes that is currently available through Bandcamp, well, I don't know which two episodes it is. I think it might be three and seven, but there's two episodes in particular where there's a lot of like noisy music. Like four, four is kind of a. Um, is it four? I'll have to look up the the names because I can tell by the name. Four is kind of like a like a Stockhausen thing. It's like a lot of like kind yeah. of tape cut ups and a lot of it's kind of shrill and sort of. It's a, right. The video, the video is the one with like the the Super Mario dictator and the <laughs> the roided up Batman. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, like again the videos being a a whole other animal of like you know kind of like entertainment um so you portray every character that is filmed in the totalitarian so not only have you created these characters in the music but now you've created a visual character for each of them as well yes well um again i didn't i didn't like overthink it like i wasn't like right i was like trying to assign lines like and like okay well this one's gonna say this one the way i did it was just like really quick and dirty it was like i think the music was completed um like around october 2019 i was just like tweaking like tiny stuff here and there on some of the music and then i was like uh, then i went you know I, i thought okay well halloween's coming i can go to walmart get a bunch of makeup hit the goodwills mm-hmm. um, you know basically just to assemble this kind of like uh i have like a clothes rack um the the bazaar used to be a consignment shop and one of the things that the, the, the bazaar is the nonprofit that my wife is the executive director of it's an arts and culture nonprofit right. in roanoke mm-hmm. um and the way that it got started was it was a record shop and a venue. Right. Um, but one of the things that we accepted there uh, was vintage items. So we had some stuff. We had like, you know, a fur coat or, you know, a uh, second necklace, what, whatever else. Yeah. Um, so now I started thinking, I started thinking in October 2019, okay. Uh, let's do three for each episode, three characters. Uh, that's enough to like maintain visual interest. I put out this big clothes rack. I got a bunch of, um, you know, uh, clothes hangers and I started like assembling 30 costumes. So Mm -hmm. I got, you know, the basis of them was the stuff from the consignment shop. And then I brought in the makeup and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, once I had this rack filled out, I was like, okay, well it's, time to go on to the next step you know so i have like i shot it on the 60 dollars camera i bought in 2010 it's like a sony Mm -hmm. cam um but the great thing about that was it has the thing you can flip out and turn around so you can see yourself oh yeah right so i could play to that i set that like on a like a step ladder that i set it on and i can move it up and down the rungs to get like (laughs) slight different Angles. I to get be over top of it or like looking up at it, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, throughout the green curtain in the back. So you did all the um, filming yourself too. You did like everything, or did Jamie help at least? Yeah, Jamie's Jamie's makes a couple of vocal appearances. Okay. On some of the episodes. Um, the video stuff was pretty much just me. She has a cameo at one point. 
Okay. But I, it was pretty much like I had the camera, I set it all up, and I was just kind of like out there doing the weird thing. Um, but yeah, I was just like, once I kind of set up, set up a rhythm for it, it, it was, it really was, it went pretty fast. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I had the, I had the rack with the characters on it. Uh, I had a, a mirror set up and I would put on the makeup. I didn't have any kind of plan with the makeup. What I would do is I would like, I put on the clothes and then I was like, well, what kind of, like, what is this character's attitude? Yeah. So I would make, I would make a face, like I'd be like, or whatever. And then I would get the, the pen with the makeup and just trace the lines that that face made. Yeah. And then base the makeup around that. Yeah. Um, just to accentuate your features, I guess. Yeah. Say what? I guess to accentuate your features a little bit, kind of like accentuate the expressions, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once I'd gotten the makeup on, I started just kind of like see what the mannerisms would be of the characters. Like those, a lot of those were just in the moment too. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was the same kind of, uh, you know, animating principles from the music just went, in, just went over into the video. You just, you basically, whatever's around you, you grab it, hmm. you use it, and don't overthink it, you know. Once you put on the costume, like uh, with the, the vampire character, like he's got this wig that yeah. I discovered when I did this, like it would kind of like bob in like an amusing way you know so yeah. like okay well that's part of the repertoire for this guy right you know <laughs> i call him he's the stand-up vampire because he's supposed to be like an 80s stand-up comedian that's also a vampire you know uh -huh. um so yeah i just sort of yeah i was like okay let's make the way through this and i just did like one after the other i think it took about two weeks hmm. to shoot all the characters and then i just put them Put the video files for each performance on top of each other and like you know cut the crap out you know or it's like okay yeah. well you know i'm like this isn't really in character here i'm not sure what i'm doing at this part so cut that out and let this character take over it was just like whichever character was doing something interesting at a point i let them have the spotlight yeah so it wasn't like i was wasn't like I was saying, oh, well, this character is going to be doing this line definitely. It was like whoever looked okay doing it. You right. Know? Yeah. That's cool. Uh, and then the green wall just lets me put whatever I want behind it. Um, I'd been doing some CGI stuff, so some of that kind of like slipped in there. That was just stuff that I'd been messing with. And then mm. the um, one of the things that I did on the second episode that really like set the pace for it was I started building like miniature sets yeah that, that I could sort of like inhabit like on the sexuality episode I knew that it was so it's like shot in black and white because it's supposed to be like it's supposed to kind of simultaneously evoke like an art film and also like uh just sort of like outdated values you know yeah yeah like, uh, so I like I, I and I was like okay this is gonna be a rural setting I got this farm girl I got this old man mm -hmm. and I was like they're gonna be in the barn so I like built like a small barn I had like some scrap lumber and I just sort of set it up in front of the green screen yeah. I got some straw from like the chicken from the chickens and just threw it in there you know and like yeah. a little lantern Amazing. and then uh, you know lit that and I did that like for different episodes like i built kind of like a castle magical thing for the third episode and yeah 
I think I just went under the house and like filmed the pipes and stuff for the fourth one. But mm-hmm. well, it's amazing, man. I mean, um, so what you've decided on because uh, you were, you know, the whole concept of trying to bring it to a label was kind of like out of the question. It's kind of a, I don't know, uh, it would be very uh, adventurous and like ambitious project for any label to take on. So you're going the Bandcamp route. So now everything is on Bandcamp to be streamed uh, and then per, for purchase as well for how much is it? For the entire season? 60 bucks, something like that? I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, if you get the whole thing, it's um, 30, 35% off, something like that. It's $68. Oh, okay. Right. Or then you, they can also purchase like every song individually if they like, if they listen to every record and just kind of like pick and choose their favorites. Yeah, I'd say it's a dollar piece. I think yeah. for the, it's whatever the default is for for Bandcamp. I just kind of rolled with what, the, right. what they were doing. Um, and again, that wasn't like that wasn't part of any sort of like master release plan. I think it was uh, this guy I know was just like, "Hey, is this going to be on Bandcamp? I want to hear it on Bandcamp." And I, at one point, I was like, "Well, let me get it up there." You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, it works out because you can actually do video on there, too. I didn't realize until recently. I didn't know that. Well, because uh, I just started up my label uh, because yeah. we just put up uh, a friend's band, uh, The Hammer Party. Well, I signed up as a label. Maybe that's why. Because you're signed up as an artist. Because as, yeah, as a I... label, it kind of sucks. Like, I actually pay a monthly fee in addition to, like, the percentage on sales. Yeah, that's the difference. I think that that's it. Because I think I did see something about video, but it was you needed like a premium thing and i'm just using yeah you gotta do the subscription service which i think is bullshit i mean like what the hell so because it's not even like you know twenty dollars like when you make a sale or if you make sales it's just twenty dollars a month and then take your 10 to 15 percent on top of every like physical item it's their it's their prerogatives it's kind of like honestly when i started trying to think about how i was trying to put the thing out like i was I was at a point where I was just kind of fed up with like any given internet website that would position itself like between, you know, yeah, uh, an an artist and whoever was was buying whatever. But um, I think I just, at some point I was just like, yeah, well, it's not really that big a deal. I'll just right. I'll, I'll put it up there. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of the the album in general. I'm a big fan of just like the kind of like just listen to music because just for me, especially for like video doesn't work for me a lot because I, I don't have the time because I'm usually listening to records because like, you know, I run a record store too. And, yeah. you know, it might not have been like that for um, for the record store, the Bazaar, right? The Bazaar of Roanoke, is that what it was called? Yeah, Bazaar of Roanoke. Um, um, no, I mean, we, we, would, we would listen to records all day. Right. I mean, we we had like a Spotify playlist over there. Yeah, but you were like there on site in a building. Like I'm here at home, so it's like yeah. And I and plus I work like forty hours a week, in addition to. So I was just like, you know, I have to listen to stuff every time I'm at home from work, just like in the background, like constantly putting stuff on, you know. Right. So um, you know, and I can't work on videos or watch anything when the music's playing. So I'm like. I haven't been like watching movies at all, basically. I've been watching very, very little TV, so I'm always in front of this fucking thing, like, you know, working on stuff or talking to people or listening to music, you know? It's crazy. So I'm trying to cut out the job, basically. 
if I cut out the, yeah. the if I cut out the, the the gig, then I can actually dedicate all the time to doing this and have t- more time for other things. It's it's hard to do, man. Yeah, I, that's why I don't know how you have done this. Like, it's like just the amount of time that you have to spend. But I don't know. I guess it's because like you were saying, like you wasn't thought out and you just kind of like banging it out, just like working on it like every day. I guess. I yeah, I mean. My wife is really supportive of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have kids. And um, we don't have kids. And both of us are extremely thrifty people. Um, so we are just sort of like, both of us are of the opinion that like, we would rather sort of um, just kind of like deal with having less than work, like, you know, a restaurant job or whatever we might be qualified for. Yeah. Like I, I was working at a club for a while, like uh, up until they, you know, hired me on at that spot on Kirk. I was at a country club. Yeah. Um, Wait tables and stuff. And um, at a certain point, I was like, well, I don't, you know, it was sort of like I, I was making less money running sound, but I was running sound, you know? Right, you're doing something you like. That's something that's fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're we're both kind of like always have an eye on like the um, the trade offs of money and value of life. You know. Yeah. Right. Um, but um, yeah. I mean, I, you know. Hmm. Well, I hear you on that, man. Because I'm 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 just trying to figure out how to get back there, like back to that point where it's just like, you know, we're comfortable. Like we don't have to worry about. Um. Well, I think it's just the kids. You know, because it's like. When if it were just me and my wife, it'd be tif- it'd be different. We could live, you know, kind of like much less. But with them, it's just like you kind of feel obligated to kind of yeah. offer them everything that you can, and uh, and maybe even more for like their future if that if that's becomes an issue. Um, yeah. Because uh, so well, getting back to the record, because we probably should discuss the wall a little bit. Um, I mean, Doug, I. You know, we don't get to talk very often, and like I love what you do, and I'm just so excited about it that I just can't help myself but to keep on, you know, mentioning it. But um, but the wall, you know, we kind of have to do this too. Um, see, because now I have another story I have to fucking tell. So look, I I, ha- I feel obligated to tell the story of how we met. Okay. Well, yeah. Because so like we were saying, we met in New Orleans, and it was. Was at the coffee house. It was at the neutral ground coffee house because I had an apartment above the neutral ground. There right. was there was two apartments there, and I ended up moving in with these girls that were uh, friends of my girlfriend at the time who was going to Tulane, and I moved down there for her. Turns out, you know, it was okay. <laughs> it was fun to do, and it, and it grant it gotten me the opportunity to to meet you. So I was down there at the cafe having coffee with my girlfriend sitting at the counter and it was like an open mic night and uh she was kind of getting annoyed like just kind of bored she didn't really like the music that was playing you know it's that's typical of an open mic night um and just as soon as she said that you walked into the room like with your guitar case and you were wearing like a suit like this like weird it wasn't a fancy suit but it was like a jacket with pants and uh, i was just like I don't want to go yet. That guy's going to do something. 
And I was like, I want to see what he does. He has an instrument. He has a guitar. He's going to play it. I want to see what he plays. And uh, and she was just like, okay, fine. And she's like all annoyed. It's like whatever. We're going to sit here. And I don't, so I don't know how much longer it took, but then you it was your turn up. So you come up, and Neutral Ground Coffee House was like, um, to, for the people listening that don't know it, it was just like a little cafe, and. There, the corner that they had the people performing open mic nights were um, it was basically like a living room it was like a you know a rug a coffee table like couches and chairs like around the coffee table and the person standing in front of like a fireplace I think like a fake fireplace or something like that and board board games yeah yeah bookshelf the whole night and um, so I think I was still sitting at the bar watching you from where you started and you went into I think I think you played Oedipus Rex. And you sat there, and your fucking energy that you moved and played with as you were playing that song and howling it out in that little room with, like, the few, like, the five or ten people that were there was so amazing and, like, entertaining. I was just like, this guy is fucking amazing. And then you played, I think you played Barbasol next. And at the time you were playing that song, it was just the vocals with a tambourine. And you like jumped on the coffee table and were banging it out with your foot and and hitting your thigh with the tambourine and just screaming at people that were sitting right at like right at that coffee table, like in their face, all the words to that song is just like, I can't <laughs> I haven't slept since you left. Yeah. And it's just like that chain gain fucking uh like rhythm and like literal like you know the stomping of the foot and like slapping of the tambourine is just amazing yeah i yeah i was really cutting my teeth at the at that point i think just like as a performer like um i know that being in new orleans like a lot all, all the uh the stuff that i was exposed to down there was just so in your face and yeah tough. right and i was i just felt I was like, oh, I better keep up, you know? Yeah. Like, it wasn't necessarily the, it wasn't necessarily the performers at the coffee shop. Like, a lot of them were, I mean, some of them will get a little wild, but it was much more like a folk kind of scene. It was, right. It was sort of like, Neutral Ground was a place that I could play on short notice, so I wouldn't have to talk, like, I wouldn't have to, like, Schedule. arrange it, you know? Right, and book, a, like, a slot or something. Yeah, yeah, you walk in on the right night, you can play three songs. And um, I was consciously, I was, I was consciously trying to like, learn how to be a better performer. How long point. had you been performing up until that point? Um, like how many not, shows did you do? Not much. Yeah. I, uh, I did like two shows in Roanoke. Um, then you went to school in Florida. In and then I went to school in Florida. And, and, I, and you gig in Florida at all? I did open mics, and um, there was this kind of like, uh, there was this jazz combo that lived in the same apartment complex. Okay. Uh, and they were all, they'd been together for years, like as a band, and they, um, they, they kind of like, were like, hey, we like these songs. They'd heard some of like the, the stuff that I recorded by myself. Yeah. They were like, we should, we should back you up at open mic and stuff. So that That's was kind good. of like that was the experience that I had in Orlando. It was like me and a and a jazz combo. Wow. You know, playing like Oedipus Rex and stuff. And really? that was fun. <laughs> they they didn't know like 
they were they were funny though because it was like i would be looking for something sort of like more aggressive mm-hmm. like, they were really where they were really used to going you know like right. they really liked the songs but they were like they're all big steely dan fans oh cool they would just sort of like they jazzed them up they jazzed them up yeah, yeah. do you have, did you record um, any of that stuff by chance I might have a recording some somewhere. I'm not really sure where. Um, I'd be interested in hearing it, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't mind hearing it again. Huh, cool. That'd be a weird take, because, I mean, like, I've heard the progression from, you know, when you were recording by yourself, like those, like, uh, kind of those demo tapes, I guess you'd call them, to uh, when that song kind of got evolved and kind of picked up by the band, and the band did its own kind of rendition of it. It's uh, it's structurally very similar. It's still pretty much the same like formula, but you know, between the instrumentation and the uh, the ability there to kind of like you know crank it up and turn it up to eleven, is a little different. Yeah. Well, the great the great thing about bastards is um, they did there was a bit of a jazz influence with bastards, but they also there was mm. like you know the metal influence and the. Uh, Right. Well, they're all great players too. I mean, they all like, were exceptional like players at their instrument. Really versatile. Right. Um, I like all those guys. The well, we should, we should talk about the wall. A we should bit talk more. about the wall a little bit. Yeah. So let's see. It starts off with "In the Flesh." Mm-hmm. Very yeah. simple intro. Uh, so the first real kind of like song is uh, The Thin Ice so let me just play a little sample of that struck me when I listened to it again. What? Um, I found that the ballads to be really affecting, like in a way that, yeah, I, when I, it had been a long time since I listened to the record. Okay. Um, but I, I'm kind of with you, like, um, you were saying it was like, it was fucking with you because it just sort of like reminded you of your, your childhood and stuff. Right. And, um, yeah, it's probably like second song in, like I got a little bit watery, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. You can't picture him. What? Anybody else singing the wall? Oh yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You were breaking up a little bit again. Irreplaceable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I didn't even know that actually, uh, between Dave Gilmore and Roger Waters, like they, like Dave Gilmore actually does take some leads and some, like they do do some like duetting in this on this album yeah he, he sings he sings um like the radio songs you know yeah yeah he's a good singer he is and like but for some reason like i've listening to this record as often as i had since i was a kid to now i could never tell when he comes in like the songs are kind of just like i just feel like i guess i always felt like roger waters just kind of had like a like a different type of range like when he wanted to get a little like weird and shrilly to, to do like the schoolmaster's voice per se to you know something like um 
like maybe here on the thin ice where he's just kind of you know doing this ballad-esque song and so it's very kind of quiet and muted singing and i guess is that dave gilmore on this song no that's, that's roger waters that is roger waters okay because um i just can't tell i can't tell their voices apart you know it's really strange yeah well, roger roger waters is on there. No, no no wait so dave gilmore does do some vocals on the thin ice yeah, he does do some. I'm not sure where. Oh, really? But he is credited on the track listing as uh, doing lead vocals. So I'm assuming that that's him, like that very, the first verse. David Gilmore? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, so, like, Mother. Like, let's just skip to Mother, okay? Give me one second. Let's... I don't need to. The point being is that when the mother comes in, the response is David Gilmore. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah mom, Mama's always going to be, you know, well, you know, yeah, I, Mama's always going to look I out for you, all that stuff. Have, have both of you doing one thing or another on it, right? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, or, a, there's a few songs. So there's that one... Uh, David Gilmore also does some lead vocals in Another Brick in the Wall Part 2, Mother. Uh, Gilmore's the lead on Goodbye Blue Sky and Young Lust. And then he's uh, joint lead for Hey You. Uh, is there anybody out there comfortably numb? The yeah, show must yeah. go on, run like hell, and waiting for the worms. So a pretty good portion. He's, like, he's got some strong leads uh, throughout the record. Yeah. No, they're they're about half and half, I think. Yeah. So now we just skipped ahead quite a bit from into the uh, thin ice to mother. Um, but another just really beautiful ballad, though. Mother. Yeah. Oh yeah, mother is a great song. That's definitely one that that chokes me up. Um, I know that he doesn't have a great relationship with his mother, like based on this song, like, but. Um, it may just be the character. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, you know. Well, because there's some truth to it. Because I love my mother. I think my mother's great, and I think that she did a great job being a mother as I was growing up, uh, and you know, and now too. But um, but there's still that that feeling that you know she could have possibly been a little bit overbearing as a child. You know, like especially today, as parents myself, like me and my wife, like. There's the whole helicopter parenting thing. Yeah, the pr protectiveness. Yeah, and yeah. It, but I don't think it's avoidable. Like, because every parent that I know that I speak to, they have they suffer the same thing, where they're just like, you know, they have a hard time letting go of the kid, and because like there's it's just a different way to grow up today than it was when we were kids, you know. Like the whole being yeah. outside by themselves, like un unsupervised, doing whatever, riding bikes in the neighborhood, like they can't do that anymore. We have to do everything with them, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that, that, yeah. I mean, my mom was pretty protective too, but to a certain degree, it was, it was like the 90s thing where it's like we just sort of roamed, roamed the streets, you know? Right. Uh, you know, you'd have like a gang of the neighborhood kids and you'd, you know, get on your bike and you would ride, you know, a mile away or whatever. Yeah. You just around, that old around the neighborhood, whatever. right? Yeah, you know, like playgrounds, whatever, like, you know, I know we used to do a lot of skating back then. So we would just like skate around the neighborhood, you know, bum around a playground for a little while, you know, pop over to the friggin' convenience store where they sell like, you know, nickel candy or whatever, and we would just buy some candy, stuff like that. Yeah, it's interesting though, because I think that those, um, I've heard it, I've heard it said that those tendencies sort of go in cycles. Like you'll have a generation of parents that are really protective. Right. And then those kids grow up to just sort of like let their kids, you know, be free range. Right. And those kids are like, well, we didn't like that, so we're going to be protective, you know. And it, right. Right. So you're, you're like, when you're talking about Roger Waters or the character in the wall, um, they're like, skipping how we grew up to the generation previously because right. these people would be like our parents age you right know? um and so maybe they were trying to raise us in a way you know overall in response to this sort of overprotective uh way that they were raised right right but I, I don't know i don't know that for sure i'm speculating yeah well in in this album on this album um it also has a little bit to do with the fact that uh, Roger Waters' father passed away and he was uh, killed in combat in, the, in World War One, I, I believe, right? So, um, so there's that. Like, so basically, a lot of this song in particular, Mother, uh, being, you know, him feeling like his mother's being overprotective of him, but only in only uh, you know, in relation to the father not being there and uh, you know being a single parent. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a weird, it's a weird song. It's a great song. It's very beautiful. We skipped over three songs. We skipped over another "Brick in the Wall" part one, "The Happiest Days of Our Lives," and another "Brick in the Wall" part two. Um, I think "The Happiest Days of Our Lives" is a cool one, right? Is is what is a cool one? I think I I think I like this one. Can we give it a very brief sample? Oh yeah, this song. Okay, so this song we sometimes still even hear on the radio. Um, this is the schoolhouse song, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. How, what was your education like growing up? Uh, I was in public school until high school, and then um, my mom sent me to the uh, Roanoke Valley Christian School, hmm. which was a, a, a private school run out of a church. Ooh. Shenandoah Baptist. Yeah, so um, a little, little similar yeah. environment? No, I mean, we, we weren't like, 
having like playing with health or anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there was a dress code, uh, and there was, um, I mean, there was sort of some weird stuff like you know they when when they taught evolution, it was because they had to, and they taught it as a theory, you know, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's it's funny because like when I was I was thinking about the wall, and I was thinking about going to school and even like before I knew how to play guitar or anything I, I was writing like lyrics that were like kind of like like I was trying to do the wall oh yeah um, I like trying to do it from my own experience and like being like these people make me wear a dress code so they're fascist and stuff and then like you know I got to be like you know, in my twenties, and I thought, well, that seems like an overreaction. Yeah. But now, <laughs> yeah. like, now I'm like, even you know, I'm, I'm almost forty, and I'm like, well, maybe that wasn't an overreaction. Mm. You know, maybe maybe there was something kind of like at its core a little bit fascistic about that kind of school environment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know. I mean, but so you weren't abused uh, by your by your school yeah. teachers. No, they were yeah. boxing my ears, and they were, you know, telling me to, to do it over again. There was some really weird, hmm. um, like, just like Bible-related stuff that was just strange. Like yeah. we went to like, ostensibly we went to New York to see the Phantom of the Opera, but then we spent like a week at this weird like Bible camp, hmm. and I remember everything was frozen and like. It was kind of like a Bible or something. Yeah. And there was like a lot of pressure to like come forward and cry, you know, and rededicate uh. your life. Like it was, it was, there was so much pressure that I remember classmates having like, like literal nervous breakdowns. Like this girl was saying that she had seen angels and stuff. And they were just having, you know, breakdowns in front of everybody else. Like, Jesus. And it was sort of like applauded. So it wasn't like, it wasn't like the schoolmaster like physically assaulted anybody. There's a lot of emotional abuse. There was an. I think it was emotional abuse. Yeah, I think it was really kind of fucking. Yeah. Um, but and, those... and like, there's this kind of like, I don't think it's a stretch to say that there's something sort of fascist at the core of that. Hmm. There's just there's a strange sort of. I don't know if you've had like the experience of like um, I've had some friends kind of fall down like the YouTube conspiracy theory rabbit hole. Oh, cool! You know, in recent years, and a lot of this stuff to me feels really familiar. Like yeah. it feels like it's got this same kind of like quasi-religious tone to it. Mm -hmm. You know, where it's like it's a lot of it's a lot of just something screwed up. It's a lot about uh, make believe and stuff like that, right? It is. All the conspiracy yeah, it, theories, the aliens, the Sasquatch, the the Loch Ness, whatever, the government conspiracies, what? like cover up and cover ups and stuff like that. Like, yeah, I mean, Sasquatch is like a relatively benign sort of like if you're going to have a conspiracy theory, Sasquatch is pretty. I mean, you're, run of the that's mill. That's old that's, hat. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of like 
sort of like the, the QAnon stuff mm. and like yeah that's know, another big one it's just like this it's this feeling of being at war with reality you yeah. know what I mean right but that's like uh, that's like for like a, a good swath of the the general public you know there's like all this like like my wife can my wife and I get into it a lot like because she has a kind of like a, a tendency to lean towards the conspiracy theories like she doesn't say that she believes them necessarily but it's always just like hey doesn't this sound funny like did you ever think of this like that yeah. type of thing well the fucked up thing is that there have been like really outrageous conspiracies that have actually occurred right you know like, right i mean how many people know about mk ultra you know i mean that was real right that was like this the cia mind control experiment yeah, uh, testing uh like former military people like with the LSD and stuff like that and uh, yeah even yeah, Jack Ruby has for like 30 years that's crazy right that's, but but it's real and so it's like on the one hand you you're walking this line where it's like you know I'll grant you that it's possible that Bill Gates is trying to microchip the entire population of the world right yeah I, I just don't think it's very likely but you never know because crazy shit happens no, no one would have ever imagined like oh we're, yeah there's gonna be a virus that's gonna be spread throughout the the, the world to then that's gonna shut everybody down and everyone's gonna be you know forced to wear face masks i mean and that's like where some of this conspiracy stuff comes from because like people want to have like like an open mind and like be then be reasonable and say like okay yeah well these things can happen but then there's like all these other reasonings for like well this was forced upon us because now it's a way, for, you know, to take away our liberties or some bullshit or like, you know, there's something about the government controlling people uh, but through through their, the economy, through like, you know, uh, shutting down jobs for a great portion of people and like, you know, making people earn less money. And then there's the something behind the idea of like, oh, yeah, the government is also requiring us to to accept these terms that we have to wear face masks when we're public and stuff like that, uh, which ultimately will lead to you know, the fear-mongering of, like, well, we don't want another COVID-19 to happen, so we all need to be vaccinated for all this, 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 and this. You know, because they're already going to mandate, like, flu vaccines, which, you know, depending on how you feel about vaccines, like, you might not want to have a vaccine. You might not want to put this stuff into your body that you don't necessarily know what it does, aside from fight the flu. But, you know... Yeah, you know, I, I think it's sort of like when you're grappling with this stuff, I try to pay attention to like what what is this story that I'm telling myself and repeating to other people doing to me mm. you know right. like is it like is it affecting me in a way where like I'm becoming like more fearful and and like like isolating from other people and I'm like you know because I, I mean, I think there there are people who can sort of like entertain a conspiracy theory here and there, and they're still functioning. Yeah. They hold down a job, they have family and stuff. Then there are people who one theory leads to another and another and another, and before you know it, you know they're in a hoarder house. They've you know they're stockpiling ammunition, and it's just not good. Yeah. Like, and it's like so many people are just like it's like where they're that's where they're headed you know right doomsdayers yeah it's and it's well, like 
that's the funny part about the about the conspiracy theories because the rabbit hole that you speak of that some of these people are going on anybody yeah. anybody can go down it and like it's so easily and readily available to happen if you just feel like tapping into it like if you if you tell yourself okay you know what i'm not going to watch yeah. netflix i'm not going to watch youtube all i'm going to do is research like you know stuff about the government just just follow the news just watch the news just headlines just like read read whatever article comes up local and national and some international and ask questions and then that happens you just start going down there and be like because you know what? i know bad shit happens i know bad shit happens everywhere all the time yeah and and you know the thing that drives people crazy more than anything is just uncertainty right and yeah. in their society like they i think that they hate and people hate uncertainty more than anything like they would rather know that something bad was definitely happening right. than be not sure if something bad is happening right you know what i mean yeah and it's just like the, the tantalizing thing that you could latch on to you know that could put you pull you into this hole it's just like just the possibility of something you know what i mean like right. you just want to know just want to know even the truth if even if there's even if there's no way and going back to the religion thing it's the same it's the same principle right i think people get sucked into religions because they want to know they they want to know you know and you dangle this thing in front of them like the possibility that there's life after death you know we don't know right we don't know we don't know what happens after you die um but in that sort of bid for certainty people you know they latch on to things they latch on to principles on and one story or another right and before you know it you end up in this weird bible camp you know and kids are having nervous breakdowns with the tacit approval of adults and it's fucked up right you know it's just like i try like whenever i feel that feeling again yeah. you know and i i feel it you know more and more like it's sort of been rising for a while it feels like rising water in america you know what i mean yeah, yeah. Whenever I feel it, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be bad. Right. Well, it, it, it almost doesn't even matter what the facts are. It's just, it's that sort of like miasma of like dread. You know, yeah. Like oncoming doom, just like, just, just horrible shit is happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, so hopefully that, you know, that will, will subside with the new management coming in, you know, um, like I said, we haven't even been hearing from Trump lately, and I feel so much more relaxed. I think we already mentioned how, how relaxed we are, but it's true. And and so hopefully that will continue for the next four years, and like things will kind of just gradually start to feel better, you know, like get yeah. past get get past this disease and like feel like oh it's okay it's safe to go outside and just visit with your family, and it's okay to just you know hang out and shake hands and hug, whatever you know. I hope so. I, you know, I'm ready to see people again. Yeah. Person. Really am. You ready? You ready to hug, bro? You want to, bro? You want to? You want to hug? Yeah. I give you that virtual hug. It's so, so unenjoyable. <laughs> All right. Well, did we get enough about the wall? No. There. You you picked yeah. a double record, so there's more to, to discuss. Um. Well, you know, I mean, it's a overall. We can probably highlight two or three more 
Um, What's that? Yeah, waiting for the worms made an impact on me because yeah. it tied into this kind of waiting thing for the that worms. we were just talking about. Right. Um, okay, we'll do waiting for the worms. mention that okay. about the about the filler part I think there's two songs you can skip on this like oh, I think yeah? I think even story-wise there's probably two that you could skip and it wouldn't really affect the story um, I think it's certainly Vera I certainly uh, feel like Vera is not essential to the story I think it's I think it's essential. I you mean, like the this story one? would be the same, but to me, to me that's a that's a a real high point of the album because it's like so the character has become Pink has become you know disconnected from everybody. He's behind the wall, you know, mm. and there's this kind of uh, moment of like remembering somebody that he used to know like a long time ago, and just sort of like. I don't know, there's just a lot of humanity in it, I think. Alright, let me let me play a little bit, let me try to familiarize myself with it. Vera, Vera, what has become of you? Does anybody else in here feel the way I do? To me, though, it's like the thing that gives it makes it strong is that it's followed up by um, "Bring the Boys Back Home," which is just this right. like patriotism, like ratcheted up to the point of insanity. You know, <laughs> it's just like those two tracks just back to back. Right. I mean, it, it might be like upon listening to it last night, I think it might that might have been my favorite part of the experience. Really? Was, wow. Yeah, just like. This that track and then the, then the other one. This is our this is our great disconnect, Doug. I don't yeah. know if I can listen to your music anymore. Oh man! I can't trust your judgment. <laughs> no. no, I'm just kidding. No, it, I mean it's a beautiful song, but I just th- I, I just from when I was listening to it and I was making some of these notes, um, it just seemed like the one that could, if you needed to cut something, you could cut it. If you had to. If you never knew it but existed, I mean, it would you'd never miss it, Doug. <laughs> if it had been cut from the album, you would have never known the song and you would have never missed it. We're speaking in hypotheticals. Well, yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> but so, okay, so then after Vera, because that, wait, so what other song that I think is not essential? Um, I think it's Stop, or is it Outside the Wall? I think it's Outside the Wall. Just, just... It supposedly ties it all back together. Let me see if I can find it. And when they've given you their all, some stagger and fall. After all, it's not easy. Banging your heart against some mad buddy's wall. Yeah, it's just... 
I guess it's a nice way to look. It'll kind of tie it back all back in, like I'll make it tidy at the end. But uh, lyrically, even it kind of is like it's not really touching on any kind of like grand uh, rediscovery or anything, you know, from a guy that's basically come back from from losing his mind, you know, like either losing his mind or a really bad acid trip, you know, like this guy was really like, really fucked up on drugs. Yeah. I mean, you could you could maybe do without that one. You could maybe end it end it on the trial. I yeah. think. Right. Because especially yeah. how they end it, like I don't remember if the movie is the same as this as this music, but I remember the power behind the visual of like when the trial ends, they end it with that scene of the, just the big huge brick wall, and how it uh, ends with it exploding by Pink, basically like uh, reaching some fever pitch scream on it. Um, yeah. And like even visually in the movie, I remember thinking like, oh, that's when should what well, that's when it should end. Because like, the story's done, and then they, I think, I think the way it continues from that point on, was it goes to that weird like, um, bombed out like, uh, cityscape, of probably England, I guess, like after like during just after the war, and there's like kids like rummaging around in like the wreckage and just like pulling out like, scrap scrap wire like scraps of, junk and debris and destroyed things and. And I just never really thought that it should have ended that way visually either. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think you could probably cut it, but I'm, I'm not like, I'm not itching to cut it off. No. Either. I mean, it, it completes the piece, but like I'm saying, I just like, if you wanted to like cut a little bit of this, like cut it down a little bit, you could probably do that, but. I don't see any reason to edit the wall. No, 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 no. Yeah, we're, 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 this is all hypothetical for sure, man. So what would you say is your favorite then? Do you think Vera is your favorite? Or is there a different one, another one that you would highlight from this record? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have like a, like a, like I, I enjoyed the moment where Vera sort of popped up and then you had uh, bring the boys back home. Mm-hmm. Um, Into Comfortably Numb. I only enjoy I only enjoyed it in the context of the album, right? You know, like like taking either of those and put them, you know, just in a random playlist. I don't think they would be, you know, as impressive. Right. Um, right. To, going back to the thing about albums and like the idea of an album making it like a complete statement, like I I I kind of I'm refusing to pick the wall apart. I'm I don't want to like. I'm not going to pick favorite songs. I like The Wall as a whole. Yeah, I get it. No. Well, yeah, good answer. I, I, think, I think that's the only way to listen to it, really. Go, go ahead. Right. I agree, I agree with you. I mean, you know, I, I, I think subconsciously I've probably avoided this record for a long time because of all the Pink Floyd records that there are and that I might want to listen to, this is probably not my go-to, but... I am very familiar with this record because I, I literally grew up with it. Like, this is one of those records that, you know, was in my house when I was a kid, and I probably listened to it way too young, and then I also watched the movie at the same time, like, maybe a few years after that, but I was still probably too young to see it, and um, and it kind of messed with me, and, uh, and well, I think... It's not background music either. Like, no. It's, it, kinda, it demands that you 
that you pay attention to it. Exactly, exactly. And that's why it was so weird, I guess, maybe as a kid, that because when it was on, it was on. And, like, there was no avoiding right. it or going around it. Like, you were, you, we were going to partake in it. And I think, you know, and I have had, like, three brothers as well. So our, and our, we had a very small little house. We lived in a little apartment. So we all partook at the same time. Um, yeah. And it was my dad's doing. My dad was the fan. And I think that that has something to do with it, too, because, uh, you know, I, I didn't end up having a good relationship with him, ultimately. So um, I think that's what dredged up some of that weird emotion that we were talking about last week with me and this record and, you know, kind of yeah. thinking about talking about it. Yeah. So. No, it's like... Um it's definitely less of like putting on a record is definitely less of an event than it used to be you know like because yeah. it did used to be like you know be after dinner and somebody would be like let's listen to this record and you put it on right and you usually sit around and listen to it you know oh yeah yeah it's i mean like watching a, a show well that goes with the wall in particular is just like i mean it was it's almost like a radio drama or something you know right. what i mean yeah, I think the visuals, like, having known the movie, unfortunately, it kind of, like, clouds my, my judgment of, like, what I feel like I would see if I listened to the music by itself, but it feels pretty spot on. Like, I mean, so the movie itself came out uh, two years after this, I believe. It was in 1982, but, and, um, and Roger Waters did uh, pen the script, so he was basically using the context of the music to, to write out the movie. So with that being said, I think that that makes sense. But if I didn't, if that movie never got made and I just listened to this record, I wonder what I would see. Because they've just kind of merged themselves in my brain, you know? Like, I can't yeah. see one or hear one without the other. Well, it's, I mean, we think of it as an album, but it's, I mean, when you think about the finished product, it's filmmaking, really. I mean, it's it's a musical film. But much like yourself, it wasn't intended to be filmed. Like, I mean, they made it as just a, a concept record piece. It was only after the fact that yeah. they were approached that they were like, the, I forget who directed the movie now, but um, that they asked them if they would be interested in making the movie. Uh, I, did, I didn't realize that wasn't part of the, the master plan. No, I don't believe it was. Let me Let me just double check that. Adaptations. Uh, the film adaptation Pink Floyd the Wall was, re was released by Metro Golden Mayer in July 1982. It was written by uh, Waters and directed by Alan Parker. Uh, it used Scarfs, I don't know how you pronounce that name, the uh, artist that did the animation and the artwork for the album. Uh, alongside mm -hmm. actors with little conventional dialogue, a modified soundtrack was created for some of the film's songs. Um, that's all it says about that, so I don't know if... Yeah, that's all it says about the movie. So I know that it came after the album and by a couple of years, so I'm assuming that it wasn't something that they uh, planned to do, uh, you know, uh, um, simultaneously. So I don't yeah. know. But it was written... A developing plan as it... As it Right. But as you said, for your own project, for, you know, the, the totalitarian, I mean, you were just making the music and you didn't think that it was going to end up becoming this film project, too, that came after the fact. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, like the, the motivation for doing it as a film project was just kind of like seize people's attention mm. in a way that, because I, I, I've never been able to really make background music either, you know? And yeah. that's probably another, I, that probably goes back to the wall too. It's just like, if I'm going to be singing something, I want people to pay attention to it. Right. Um, and, you know, one of the, people are so visual anymore. Like everything's based around, you know, what you see. And so, you know, putting it in the form of a TV show, hmm. you know, I've noticed that people would, would binge watch a TV show the way that, you know, they used to like read a book right. or, or whatever. And I thought, okay, well maybe I can do it in that form. Yeah. And that, that'll bring people into this particular world. Yeah. I, I hope so because um, so uh, the total, the totalitarian is available on YouTube now, so you can stream the entire video series um, and you can binge watch it like that. And um, but it's also available for purchase on Bandcamp. The audio files of it, not the video. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, we can. Yeah, like maybe make a DVD of it at some point. Yeah, I I, I, like I have that. had people think, say that they would buy a DVD. Um, yeah. It'd just be a matter of like, you know, there's got to be enough demand for me to like make the investment to do that, you know? Right, right. And it's sort of like, I know some people would want to watch the DVD. Right. And some people really like having the physical format is like that's their thing Mm. it's just a matter of like of all the people that watch it and listen to it are there enough people that are going to be into having a dvd box set for me to like spring to make 500 copies or whatever right i mean you know the worst thing about like getting something like that manufactured is like if you make like a few hundred copies and then you end up just sitting on those stuff, you know. Right. I like to see. I like to see it, right. but it's it's no matter like, even if like thirty people love it and are just like hold on to it for years, you still get the, the pile of the rest of them, and you're a little. It's a little demoralizing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we've all gone through it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, that's one of the great parts about the internet too, though. Is like they can people can watch it mm-hmm. and don't have to, you know, make that that kind of invest. Like they don't have to have the physical copy to to enjoy the series. You know what I mean? Right, right. And there's also um, one of the things that I've been toying with with the series is just the idea that I could, um, you know, just run it like a Netflix show. And you know, have it up for a few months at a time, oh, right. and then then pull it down, and then maybe run it again, like what I did with the, the Facebook group. Right. Like okay. Yeah, that was cool. Week, here's an episode this week. Right. Um, well, so you you're know. so you're working on a new season. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I've for five episodes, uh, which I also put on Bandcamp. So you can kind of like 
listen to those and maybe imagine how that might look. All five episodes? Uh, before you... Say what? Five episodes? Five, yeah, I've got music for five episodes up there. Are you doing um, more than that than that for the season, or is that going to be it? I'd like to do ten again. Wow. Um, but five is what I've got. Jesus, okay. So you've already recorded another five records. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, man. You're just so fucking prolific. Uh, prolific. I can't. I can't. I just can't imagine myself, man. It just you always blow me away by that. By how how prolific you are with like your music. You just kind of keep on churning stuff out all the time. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's it's like uh, if I wasn't doing it, I would probably just go nuts. You know. Right. Like I've always had to like really intentionally make time to do it. Um, and it's had sort of like some detrimental effects on my, like, it's sort of like, because you have to make it, like I've had to make time to do it. There's been things that I haven't, like it's made it, there's only like certain kinds of jobs that I've been able to like do, you know, like I've never been right. able to have like a job that takes up a lot of my mental space. Like, Right. Uh, when I was in the, the bathrooms, I worked at a hotel, like doing night shift. Yeah, I was doing, you know, that took up time, but it didn't take up the mental space. You know what I mean? Right. Like I could be watching the hotel at night, and 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 so it's like, yeah, I'm prolific, but it's like I kind of have to be, and then I kind of have to like accept the drawbacks of having to do things that way too, you know? Right. right. Until, until the one project finally breaks it big. And then and, yeah, you don't have to worry about that. You just kind of start, keep on working at your own pace. I kind of would. You got it, man. Well, that's why I wanted all to right. have you on, dude. I mean, I, I more than happy all the time to, to, you know, praise the words, praise the, the name of, uh, Doug Cheatwood, uh, whenever I can. So I wanted to ask you to be on the show and I'm happy to have you on, man. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, we'll have to keep in touch. You I know? know. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, you, you've kind of uh, dodged the whole social media thing too. I mean, like, you know, you, you <laughs> for the most part, didn't have any profiles or anything. So I couldn't even follow you there and like kind of catch up like yeah. that. But yeah, uh, I, you know, social media just gives me so much anxiety anymore. Maybe if maybe if shit calms down a little bit. Yeah, you know, no, I know it's it's a cesspool. I know, but we we can communicate through it. You know, but uh, you want to okay. keep it old school. You want to call? Fine, I'll call you. Cool. All, right. All right, buddy. Final Envision is a Psychic Static production. Theme song written and performed by Jeff Robbins of 123 Astronaut. Oh, shit.